welcome to Missions and Marketplace Podcast. Join us as we talk to business and thought leaders who discuss their passions in and outside of business and how it drives them to give and be citizens of goodwill. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Missions and Marketplace Podcast. I want to welcome our guest, Jason Caston, who is creator, innovator, spokesperson, speaker, author. We're going to talk about all this cool stuff that he's into. One of the big things that he has out right now is the iChurch method. And that's one of the reasons why we wanted to take some time right now to talk to Jason and kind of let him outline what the iChurch method is and what it means and how you guys can take advantage of it and see what it can offer everyone. Jason, welcome to the show, buddy. Um, I appreciate it, my friend. Glad to be here. Thank you. So tell the public here about the iChurch method. What is it that you're doing with this here? Uh, All right. The iChurch method is multifaceted. And so I'm going to talk about it from quite a few different perspectives. First thing, it's it's a methodology. So I talk about how organizations can advance online and a way to go about it and breaking it down into five key areas, which is websites, uh, multimedia, which is your online video streaming and stuff, e-commerce, online sales, online donations, social media, and then mobile. And so that's one of the aspects of it, just explaining that methodology and how any organization, whether you're a faith-based nonprofit, political, health, anybody could utilize that. Second thing is, is actually it's a book, a series of books, actually. I just released the third one earlier this year in March, but it's a series of books that talks about this methodology and I break it down as far as how to utilize it, talk about which platforms actually to use for each area. And then the last aspect of it is it's a platform we are building because in addition to teaching this methodology, um, I work for the Potter's House, TD Jakes Ministry, as well as other churches in Dallas and in Los Angeles that I actually have applied this methodology to and seen it work and growing these platforms from a couple thousand to millions of users. So it's a platform that we're building as well to help any organization grow their online presence. Wow. So let's let's take a step back, Jason, and let's first delve into the fact that um, you and I, I've, I've followed you for a long time, as you know. So I know you have a lot to offer from a technology standpoint. So tell us a little bit about what led up to not only the iChurch method, but kind of got you into the tech industry as a whole. And then I'm sure you've seen a gap between, you know, churches and what they were able to implement from a technology perspective. So talk about those two things and then let's lead into the iChurch method and what it can offer non-faith based programs and otherwise. Initially, I started off, uh, went to school for computer science. So when I got into the corporate marketplace, well, actually, let me step back. When I went to school for computer science, web design and development was just getting started. So I graduated in 2000. And so at that time, if you wanted to really learn web development or any type of web courses, since they were so new, they weren't really in the college environment yet. You had to teach yourself. So when I came out and started working um, in the corporate arena, then I saw that, um, you know, I started on the front page or something like that. Oh, man, you're taking it back. So, yes, we're talking about front page. And before even um, Dreamweaver really took off with Macromedia, it was called uh, Home Site. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, way back. I'm coding in that and uh, Notepad, of course, where I actually had to learn HTML code and all that type of stuff with CSS just getting started. So I'm actually coding back then, working for a variety of um, consulting gigs, Uh, had a few long term positions, stuff like that. So for me, I had the corporate experience. I had the tech skills and all that good stuff. And I was just learning how to build and scale and operate in that arena. It happened in like 2007 when I left Chicago and moved to L.A. and I started working for 
for a church, a large church out there called Crenshaw Christian Center. And that was the first time I worked in the church arena. And so I already had the technical expertise to, um, as far as that was needed to help advance this ministry. But um, in working with churches, the thing I learned more often than not was that they were very much far behind the curve. And so this is all churches across the board, African-American, evangelical, uh, any denomination, churches were behind the curve. Disconnected from tech in general, just... Absolutely. And it came from, I think it started off from, I want to say a theological perspective, just, you know, doing church in an old manner. So throughout the week, people would utilize technology in all other aspects of their life. But when it came to church, they would immediately step back in time because church had to be a sacred experience that mimicked what was done thousands of years ago. Wow. You know, that's funny because they did that with radio, too. For a long Mm -hmm. time, church wouldn't adapt with the radio. And now you hear about all kind of churches that, you know, they've overtaken the radio. But it's interesting that they looked at technology as kind of a sacred piece or or something that they didn't want to interfere with genuine worship, which I'll kind of ask that question later, which I don't think it affects genuine worship. It's just amazing how sometimes churches are slow to adapt to the newer technology that comes out. Definitely. And let's make sure we talk about that because I do have a good uh, example that I've used that help a lot of the churches understand how technology is impactful and how they're already using it, not even knowing it. But um, so then from there, working at the church I was working at, I was a one man department. You know, they were like, you're you're the web guy. Just fix the website, make it work, make all the web stuff work. And that's where the iChurch method came from, because as I'm going through this church, who, you know, a large church I had followed for a while, I'm looking at all their different web presence and I'm seeing a lot of different things that I can help help and fix. And, um, you know, everything behind the scenes wasn't working as well as I thought, which is one, why I got hired. And two, I saw how I could impact and make things work. So I started looking at these key areas that I named earlier and that I laid out in the iChurch method. And those were the five key areas that I worked and helped uh, focus on with this ministry. It just happened that when I moved from LA to Dallas and started working with the Potter's House, I started to see uh, and, and work with a lot more churches, whether I'm speaking at conferences or stuff like that. And a lot of them needed guidance as far as how to have the success of mega churches or larger organizations, but they don't have the budget of those organizations. And that's where the iChurch method came from. It's just me putting out a manual that can help walk them through the process. But I got into tech straight out of school. And from there, I, I moved over to church just on a whim, not, you know, I want to go work for church or anything like that. It's just I had my opportunity to work with consulting companies, corporations, or a church. And I just happen to choose a church. Wow. That's really cool. So it's just like, you know, podcasts that I've done in the past where I always talk about entrepreneurs, they see a need. And in your case, it's at a church and it's very true because, you know, I'm, I'm a believer. I go to church as well. And I've seen kind of the back end tech side where there's always a disconnect. And sometimes for a lot of reasons, one of them you just mentioned, whether it's budgeting or whatever it may be, or just the lack of knowledge, there's nobody like a Jason Caston to come in and say, Hey, look, I think I can figure figure out a way for this church to start connecting with a community out there, whether it's socially or mobily and all those things that people are typically afraid of. So you work at, you're at this Crenshaw Christian Center, you start to perfect the iChurch method, or at least start coming up with some principles around it, Mm -hmm. go to the Potter's house, and then you really start to perfect it there. But you saw a connection between the two churches and other churches as you started working on this thing, that there was a disconnect from a technical standpoint. So you start creating this iChurch method and where do you start and where do you begin to go from there? Well, from there, um, I think the thing that really started to get me really to take off with this this methodology and, and stuff was 
when I first, um, at working at the Potter's House, they gave me a platform to actually start speaking at conferences. So that's when I got to teach on a, on a much grander scale and actually see other churches. If you, you're in a room of, say, a hundred people speaking to a room, you're seeing a hundred different churches tell you their problems and ask about, hey, how can we do this? How can we do this? How can we do that? And so as I'm starting to see all of their issues, I'm basically crowdsourcing my book at that time because it wasn't written yet. So when I came back the following year and said, hey, in addition to me speaking, I've taken all the things that I'm going to teach you today and put it into a manual. That book seemed to establish me not only as an authority or somebody who has knowledge enough, well enough to put inside of a book, but also gave me a platform to say, every time I walk into a meeting, here are the five key areas that I know because working with the Potter's House, I had an established case study that showed how well these principles and this methodology worked. I can now say, here's the five key areas I know you need to look at. And then from there, we can look at it from on a grander scale. And that that's pretty much, you know, for all the listeners, um, when you're looking at how you're going to take yourself to the next level, you once I found my niche, which again, if I was working for Capital One or any other corporations, you know, I would just be another coder. Yep. But because I walked into the church arena, I had my niche and now I became a commodity because I'm a tech guy. Who, who's who's working for churches, one of the top churches in the nation or actually around the world and able to convey tech in a way that I could speak to geeks. So I know the tech because I'm an actual coder. I roll up my sleeves and I actually write code, but I'm also an extrovert and that I can teach and articulate concepts and all this stuff in front of a crowd and not get nervous and uh, actually speak to them. And then of course, put it in a book. And so all these different ways that I could communicate how to get this tech done and reach the world uh, made it so that, you know, I was able to go around and speak. And of course, get invited to speak outside the country. That's really good. So that book, the iChurch Method book, is that a book that, you know, essentially you could take Brother Blue in the church and just give him the book and say, hey, learn these principles from Jason and implement this for our church? Or do you have to have some kind of tech background? Well, that's and that's one of the key ways I wrote it. It has a dual perspective. If you're a tech person, like say myself, then you can look at that book and say, okay, here are the platforms and stuff that I need to utilize. And from a tech perspective, you'll see how to look at them and implement them on a grand scale. If you're just a regular, you know, hey, you're a pastor and you're not tech savvy, but you don't want a tech person to take advantage of you because we've seen that in churches where they hire, you know, a consultant who doesn't have the church's best interest in mind. You don't want them to take advantage of you. Here's some tech jargon and tech principles and platforms that you'll know about so that when you're having a conversation with them and they start trying to throw those big words out there, no, no, I read about that in our church method. I know here's what I want, this, this, and this, and don't stray away from the conversation and try and upsell me on stuff that I don't need. Right. That's a really good point. You know, the iChurch method. So as I mentioned some time ago, you know, I've been following you. I looked at the, the program, the platform. I know there's many facets. You mentioned a lot of it. I'm sure you're going to get into some of it a little bit more because we were talking earlier about that you, you have several sides to it. The one side is is you can offer the platform within itself, but then you also kind of have a consulting side to it. So I'd like you to talk about that, but then kind of lead into it. This is kind of a different question, but you know, with this whole internet technology age that we're getting into, do you think that pulls anything from worship in the church? Does there become a disconnect? And look, I know you're only working on the platform side. You're the code guy. You're what some would call a propeller head, but are you, I shouldn't have said propeller head. That's not a nice word. <laughs> but are are you the guy, and you're not responsible for this, but do you think there's a disconnect in our worship when we focus online? 
Oh, okay. Well, yeah, and I'll answer that question first and then jump back to the other yeah. ones. Yeah. The worship experience, when we add an online aspect to it, we have to look at it from the perspective of the Great Commission, okay? So we want to take the gospel to the four corners of the earth. Mm-hmm. And if you ask somebody who's not church-affiliated, I have a message that I want you to get around the world as quickly as possible. How can you do it? Years ago, they might have said, okay, Pony Express to boat to, you know, these different manners. But if you want to do it today, it's internet. Mm-hmm. And if you want to, and the, the most fastest form of the internet would be mobile. So when you start looking at how to take the church's message around the world, it's not the message that changes. It's just the method. So when I'm talking to churches, I say, hey, we're going to talk about two things here today, the message and the method. The message, the pastor has that same message we've been talking about for thousands of years. But I'm going to tell you about the evolution of the method, starting from stone tablets to parchments to scrolls to the printing press, which was technology that gave us the Bible written in book form that every church seems to be so um, has gravitated towards. I'm like, without technology, you know, we'd still be using oral history or parchments to get the word out about, you know, the the, the message that we uh, hold so holy. But radio, TV, internet, and now mobile has just basically changed the method in delivering that same message. So don't knock the method because it's not the way that you received it in your prime. Because now when we're looking at these different um, churches, I say, how, how long do you want to stay relevant? And how old were you when you first, you know, got saved or heard the message. And they'll say, you know, my grandmother put a Bible in my hand, etc. And I say, okay, what age was that? And let's say they say, you know, 12. I say, okay, so if I look at my child, I put an iPod or iPad in her hand at 18 months and she was able to navigate the iPad without me telling her what to do. And she got to Netflix and she watched Dora. And so if she, if this, the iPad was the earliest technology she saw, that's her Betamax, that's her eight track. And so now in order for church to stay relevant to her, it has to meet her where she's at. And if now she's as technically savvy or technically advanced for these digital natives in the future uh, for church to be relevant to her, it's going to have to have a digital component to it because that's what her life will be based around. That's how I explain it to them, uh, to look at it from the perspective of relevance as time continues on with a digitally ingrained culture that we live in. That's why I really like the name, the iChurch Method, because you're absolutely right. It is a method in a way of delivering the message. And you know, I tell a lot of people this, but we can't forget that as Jesus was ministering, and we're not going to turn this into church per se, but we'll say this so that people can understand this conceptually, that when Jesus was ministering, it didn't get further than Dallas or Raleigh, North Carolina. It was because of the other vehicles, whether it's radio, television, other scrolls, whatever it may have been at its time, as the communication advanced, Mm -hmm. the word got out more and better. So we have to remember there's a lot to be said for that. And you bring up a really good point as you're talking about mobile, because there are businesses and you and I both are in the business sector. I'm certainly in it. You know, there are a lot of businesses that are still struggling with understanding mobile. So the church, especially with mobile and other pieces to it, are starting to get out ahead of this stuff. I mean, you become more advanced in some respects than the world does, if that makes sense. So Mm -hmm. that's really good stuff. So, you know, you talked about you know, kind of your other pieces. Did you kind of want to back up a little bit and, and go further into the iChurch method? Was there anything else you wanted to point out there? Oh, yeah. So I want to talk about two things that really help the iChurch method or this methodology that I was talking about um, really go to the next level. One, the thing that I really got was my wife helped me turn it into a method. I had five key areas, but she's a psychology major, family and marital counseling. When she was studying and I, you know, she would t- be telling me some of the things that she's reading about. She kept talking about methods. All these people that she studied had methods. That's where I got the iChurch method from was that I saw that these methodologies took these what seemed as complex concepts and broke them down into 
into such in a way that people could consume them easily. And so for me, technology from a church perspective, again, as we talked about earlier, was seemed to be very complex and complicated. But if I said, here's a method and it's just five key areas that you have to work on, then people were able to eat more easily consume that. And that's why I came up with a methodology. So when you're coming up with a way to advance yourself on your platform in your niche, you have to present it in a way that people can consume it. And so I just chose a methodology. Additionally, the platform, one of the things I saw is, yes, I have a consulting company and we can build these solutions for you, but the platform we're developing will automate all of that. And so as we look at uh, you know, the listeners here, you have to look at how you can automate your processes and scale them up to something that grows much larger than what you can tangibly put your hands on. In order for me to scale my business, I have to develop a platform that could be automated and grows much larger without me having to put my hand on each client to see how far the reach of my business can get. And so that's why we're developing the iChurch platform as a whole. And then the, here's the last thing, the book, yep. writing a book and publishing a book. Now that is a whole podcast we could do in, in, on our own, but I'm going to give a few key tips on that. The first thing I did was I I, um, I came up with an outline, those five key areas, I already have them. Under each topic I had, I put three subtopics. And so that's how I started writing this book out as far as in phases of topic and subtopic so that I didn't try and write it all at once and it didn't seem overwhelming. I had my book cover designed by a professional. And the reason I'm saying that is because I tried to design my own book cover and it looked terrible. So when you are want to put this book out here and you're going to put, I'm going to tell you how to put it on Amazon so that wherever the high profile authors are, you are as well. You Your book has to look like it was published by a major publishing house. But again, self-published to start because again, you want to keep control of your intellectual property. You want to own your book. Just like we know about the recording industry. We heard about, you know, I won't say any um, names of moguls we know of, but they own the masters of their artists and the artists get mad about that. Own your own intellectual property. You're looking for distribution deals more so than somebody, you know, signing you to a publishing deal. But we'll get to that later. And then um, the last thing is I used a website called createspace.com and that's how I was able to get my book on Amazon and other places, the Kindle and all that type of stuff quickly and able to position my book in the same manner that all these major publishers and authors position their books. So where you see them just as professional as those books look like, so does mine. I had an editor go through mine just like I um, editors go through theirs and I'm able to publish my book in three months as opposed to waiting on the, being shelved for a year while somebody else decides your fate. I'm not going for that. Wow, that's really good stuff. And then obviously you did your own social behind it and started to push it in terms of, you know, promotions and stuff like that. So and then it started to pick up. And, the, and mm -hmm. then the fact that, you know, you kind of speak at conferences and other places, you can kind of generate some excitement around it that way, too. Right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And then, you know, I know something else we want to delve into, which I'll even uh, start focusing on talking about right now is when I established myself as a thought leader in this area and spoke at conferences and became the uh, leader that I wanted to be, that I saw myself as probably about two years after I started doing all this. Then, of course, that's when a corporate sponsor came knocking, AT&T, and I became the spokesperson for Inspired Mobility. And that's when you start to see, when you establish yourself in your niche and you keep going and keep learning and keep putting out content, blogs, books, etc., then the sponsors and the people who want to get into your arena, they start coming looking for you because you've established yourself. But it takes time and be patient. So with AT&T, 
They came and wanted me to be a spokesperson for their campaign on Inspired Mobility, um, talking about how we connect and utilize mobile technologies in our faith-based lives and our spiritual lives and our inspirational lives. And so that's the campaign we have now. We use the hashtag Inspired Mobility and we talk about these things online. Wow, that's really cool. How long have you been doing that for, Inspired Mobility, Jason? Uh, probably about a, a year and a half. So if I want to go out and find out about it, I can just go out to Twitter and do hashtag Inspired Mobility or just even go into Google and just simply search it and I can find all the information right there, right? Oh, absolutely. Or you can go to a, uh, about.att.com and uh, that's the AT&T newsroom. Search the uh, keyword Inspired Mobility and you'll see all the um, articles and the press releases and stuff like that. And we're just now gearing up for another, do another press release on some t- statistics about the uh, use of technology in the faith-based experience that AT&T just released last week. So now it's about to pick up a lot more uh, right now and going forward. Got it. Jason, this is really good stuff. So listen, we're, we're going to take a quick break here, but tell them how they can find out about the iChurch method, get more information on that for the pastors that may, may be interested in, in involving something like that within their church. Where can they find that information, Jason? Oh, they can stay connected with me at iChurchMethod.com or connect with me on Twitter at Jason Caston, J-A-S-O-N-C-A-S-T-O-N. Cool. So we're going to take a break. When Jason and I come back, we're going to talk a little bit about diversity and technology. We're going to get his thoughts. I'm going to share a little bit of mine. Hope you guys stick around. Thanks a lot. Hey guys, I'm back with Jason here. As promised, we're going to talk a little bit about diversity in tech. I wanted to, to hear his thoughts. He's been a guy that's been in the industry for a long time. In our previous segment, he just talked about how involved he was. So I wanted to hear his thoughts around it. So Jason, tell me, I mean, just generically speaking, why do you think there just continues to be a problem within the tech space after we all understand it being an issue? I mean, what? why do you think it continues to be one? I think that right now, I think it's if we look at what people see as possibilities as far as um, what uh, minorities or uh, African-Americans can see in the tech space, there aren't a lot of examples of, hey, I can go and do that. So as more people like myself, yourself, um, other people that we know uh, get more visibility, then I think it'll become more of a reality. And that and that includes us growing our businesses larger to where we get more um, publicity, going back uh, into these um, different schools schools and different uh, community places and showing them that we're able to do this. Because if I look at my own examples of what I thought I wanted to do coming up, there was nobody in my family or even close to me that was in tech. I happened to go into tech because of a computer class in high school that eventually got canceled because not enough people signed up for it. But that was my thoughts. But that's my parents getting me a computer at a young age. There was nothing I saw that I was like, I'm going to go ahead and grow up and be that. And in addition to the tech piece, there weren't many entrepreneurs that I knew. So that I think it if, as long as they're not seeing that in abundance, then it, it's hard to blame them for trying to mimic something that they don't see played out as reality in their world. No, that's a really good point. I mean, I had to be maybe about 19 years old, too, when my mother and father bought me a computer and they're like, hey, learn how to figure this thing out. And I happen to get right into the hardware. But you're right. If, you know, a lot of folks don't have access to the technology, then it's hard for them to get into it. But I started looking at numbers where we're talking about Amazon that only has, you know, 15 percent black people, Facebook, Google, Twitter, Yahoo, each only have 2 percent of black people that work within their industries. You know, sometimes you're trying to really find out, is this this really an explicit case of segregation or is it intentional? You, you know, you're, you're always trying to figure this out, but you you absolutely hit the nail on the head that a lot of this comes down to access, which you just mentioned, education, which you just mm-hmm. mentioned. And we talked about, you know, you going to school in 2000, it wasn't a lot of tech then either. So it took a long time before colleges started getting on this whole wave of teaching 
students, one, how to be entrepreneurs, and two, how to get involved in tech. So we had generations of minorities that went through college without that kind of knowledge. So what do you think the importance is of diversity in tech to begin with? Why, why, do, you, why do we even think that's important? I think it's important because I think that one, showing a diverse diversity in the tech arena, again, gives more, it helps people, again, the next upcoming generation to see that this is an opportunity that they can get involved with. Also, it helps to people to see, hey, this company supports people like myself who look like me, who share the same values, beliefs, and, and do the, the things that I want to do. I think that it helps with that. So for us, with Google and Amazon and, and uh, online platforms that we patronize daily and support daily. We do want to believe that um, there isn't some type of agenda where they're trying to keep people out that look like me and you from being you know, employed by them. But on the flip side, they have no problem um, having us as customers or taking our money or utilizing our data to grow their business. And so I think that's very important. But I think the main thing that I want to see as far as diversity in tech is the opportunities that tech provides for entrepreneurs, programmers, coders, et cetera, to advance their um their platforms, their businesses, their brands, and just their financial livelihood. We don't want to feel like that that door is only limited to people who look a certain way, are friends, or uh, only know certain people. And therefore, there's a gatekeeper at the door saying, you have to have these qualifications before you can come through this tech door. We don't want to feel like that. Totally. And you, you brought up a really good point. I mean, I don't know the numbers statistically, but you and I both know that Black folks, minority in general, minorities in general, are some of the largest carriers of cell phones phones and purchasers of things and stuff. I mean, they, they are a large segment of consumer is what I'm mm-hmm, getting to. Mm-hmm. And so for them not to be representative at places at Amazon, and this is by no means a knock at Amazon. Again, we just touched on some of this could be a slight towards the education and even access within the homes and other stuff. But it's it's a huge loss because in a lot of respects, when you have somebody that looks like us, as you mentioned, those are people that can connect most because they understand the community best in a lot of respects. You know, I bring this up and I I mean this. I mean, you're somebody that is a prime example of it. You saw a need, you went into a position, you saw a need, you saw a disconnect, and you knew how to respond. I mean, you're involved in the church. You know how to speak geek, as you put it. But at the same time, you also know how to connect the dots from a technology standpoint. So I think culturally, that can also be done too by shifting how we see the representation within some of these larger businesses. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not sure. And I'm just now learning this as I was, uh, you know, relaying to you earlier. I'm not sure exactly how people like me and yourself can be mobilized to go in strategically to go into different schools and community centers and different areas or just increase our visibility online to let um, younger generations of color know, hey, you guys can do this. You guys can. And it has to be twofold because from my perspective growing up, one, you guys can go into tech, you know, whether it be coding or whatever type of aspect it is from a tech perspective. On the flip side, the entrepreneurship aspect of it, you can actually build a business, a platform, an app or what have you and run that and, and actually grow that and have the support of investors or what have you to take it to another level. It has to be something where it shows people of color are doing that so that the uh, younger ones can understand it's possible because again, I didn't see that growing up. So even now when I look for mentors or people to communicate about how my business is growing, I don't have a model. So I just have to network to the best of my ability and learn how to interact with people who are doing things on a much higher level than I am. And so therefore, and then I have to in turn reach back as well. Otherwise, um, it's a lot of information that I would withhold to myself and that's not fair. 
Totally. Yeah. And you, you brought up kind of the last question here, which was, you know, some of the issues surrounding or launching a startup, especially for minorities. And it's you saying, hey, we kind of have to kind of take a step back and start even whether it's high school or even earlier than that and start letting some of those kids know that it's possible, one, to get in tech, but two, we have to start teaching students less about how to be workers in companies. And I'm, that's not a knock either. I mean, I'm just saying that we need to teach them how to be entrepreneurs more so. Yeah. One of the things I've learned, and this is one of the key things that I, I've relayed to my daughters, is um, one, I make them do coding every day on code.org. And so I got them Google Chromebooks and they do coding every day. But um, I told them the best way, the best. Jason, edge. will you be my dad? <laughs> you just you just want a Chromebook. It's not just, happen, that's, buddy. that's it. I'm I'm the using child. <laughs> no, go ahead. So you got him a Chromebook. That's good stuff. Um, and so with them coding, but I let them know, hey, I have no problem with you when you grow up getting a job working with a company, but you know, utilize what you've learned to figure out your path to step out on your own. Because one of the key things I've learned in building my business was I worked for companies and I watched their processes. I watched a lot of things. And matter of fact, my example right now of how I build my platform is I watch Bishop Jakes day in, day out. I, I help I help him build his digital platform, but I watch how he maneuvers when he releases a book. He goes on a press tour. He tells us, you know, we have strategies digitally as far as how we're going to put information out about him. Yep. He has all kinds of businesses. So when I watch what he's doing as is I'm it, an employee. Is it like that where it's almost project managed from point to point as he's pushing new items out? Is that exactly how it's done and how the blueprint that you're kind of taken for your stuff? Oh, absolutely. It's a strategy. And I mean, when I say strategy, I mean, it's a it's a machine that runs how he does things and of all of us who work for him. And so we know our parts. All I have to do is watch how the strategy comes together and do it for myself on a much smaller level than what he's on. But that's a lot of the ways I come up with some of the things. A lot of stuff I know because, I'm you know, I do the things for him digitally. But the stuff I don't know, I just watch certain people maneuver like the PR team. What are they doing? OK, cool. I need a PR person to do that. What are the writers doing? Cool. I need to give me a writer. And I just watch how things are happening. So I told my daughters, if you're going to work for a company, watch how the company acts, watch the things that they're doing, watch their processes so that when you step out, you can mimic that on a smaller scale until your business grows and then you become a competitor to them. And look, that is great advice, especially for your kids, because you're already starting with the access and education that we kind of talked about. But, you know, people also have to understand, they think they have to be multimillionaires to get to the point. First of all, you got to have a plan. So you said you're watching TD Jakes. People need to start um, and when we, we hear about talking about mentors, we're not always talking about bothering people and reaching out to them. Sometimes it's just good enough for you to step back and watch them do what they do. Mm-hmm. When you do that, eventually you'll start to pick up some of those habits and things, but you don't have to have a lot of money to launch up. I mean, go to Fiverr, go to Odesk, go, you know, start doing things on a small scale to get you to the next point and then build yourself up from there. That's really good stuff. That's the key. And I mean, I really wish uh, there's a way we could take what you just said and package that and like get that out to the masses. That's the hardest thing when I'm going to teach at these different conferences to tell them, hey, you can look like a mega church on the budget of somebody who's preaching out of your mom's living room. Likewise, with a business, you know, you don't have to have a million dollars to look like a million dollar business. The internet has leveled the playing field to where, again, I got my book published for a fraction of the cost of what it cost the publishing house to, you know, publish my book. Or I run my business for a fraction of what a corporate 500 company does, but I have access to all the services that they have because I know the online platforms that will do what they do. And so that's the thing. 
thing that I think a lot of people don't believe. And I didn't believe it. It's not like I grew up knowing this stuff. The way I started my business was my friend just told me one day after I got laid off from like my 25th job, he was like, man, why don't you start your own company? And I, and if it would have came from somebody else, I'd have been like, that's unattainable. Only people I know run their own companies are rich, et cetera. But my friend told me that that made it real. And that's why I was talking about with me and you talking about the younger people growing up or the diversity in tech. I think they need to see people that they can trust and relate to be able to, uh, that are, they're, they're doing it and they'll realize, yes, I can do that as well. And so that's one of the things I like about Twitter. With me and you, we can always stay connected. So if somebody sees me doing something that they really like, like they might see me being a spokesperson for AT&T, like, oh my God, how do you get connected with AT&T? Hit me on Twitter. I actually respond. And you could attest to that. I respond and talk to everybody. Yeah. Let, let me say this. So Jason and I, we, we have a, a friend in common and him and I just connected, but I reached out to him. Jason hit me back right away and him and I just kind of built a friendship and, and we're talking today, right? So he is absolutely right. He's reachable, but even beyond what him and I have built here, you know, there are other people like that as well. And so, you know, he's right. We have to stop thinking small. I mean, here Jason is, he just told you that a friend told him he should start a business after being at so many jobs. And I'm sure a lot of us have had the same experience. And now he's a spokesman for AT&T and their inspired mobility campaign. He's worked at two large churches, currently working at a large church, created his own iChurch method. It is possible for everyone to create something. Now you got to gain in your lane. You can't say, I'm going to start, go out and create an iChurch method. That may not be for you, but you have to find out what's for you. So that's good stuff. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, just to sum up everything we've talked about, just looking at the many things that I've been able to do and the many things that everybody's able to do, you don't have to do everything that you heard today, but do something. Start somewhere and find somebody who will encourage you. The reason I even have an iChurch method book is because my wife encouraged me to find somebody to help me get it off the ground. I sat on that book for two years and she finally was like, what do you need to get it done? And I said, I need an editor to help me take my book out my head and put it on paper. And he'd help my, my editor helped me do that. And from there I was off and running. That was three, four years ago. Wow. Jason, you've been inspiring, man. I really appreciate you taking the time out to talk with us a bit. Oh man. Thanks for the opportunity, my friend. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Missions and Marketplace. If you have a brand or business that you want to take online or you're already online and looking for more exposure, visit us at AffiliateMission.com, the premier affiliate marketing and management agency. Also, feel free to get social with us and check our Facebook, LinkedIn and Twitter pages and share with us your story on how you're leaving a mark in the world.